you know, you're the scientist, right? But I don't know that time exists, right? As, as more than a construct. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. How are you? Morning to you. Good morning, Glenn. How are you? I'm doing well. We're uh, it's an early morning recording, and we're we're off. Uh, as soon as we're done, we're gonna hit the road. Packing the car, jumping off for Thanksgiving, and see you, see your daughter. Yep, trying to trying to miss miss the, miss all the traffic and make good time. Right, got to hustle, got to like clear it. <laughs> cool. Well, as usual, that ties in nicely <laughs> with, with what we're talking about. So um, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit this week about uh, time. I just read a, a fantastic book called uh, The Time Paradox by Philip Zimbardo um, and John Boyd. And you probably know Zimbardo from the uh, the famous prison experiment, right? The, um, right. Yeah. So where he had uh, uh, university students assume roles of prison guards and inmates and, and within a few days the whole thing collapsed so horribly because the guards were abusing the students so bad and the students mm. were feeling so sorry for themselves that they had to abandon the experiment I think wasn't it something like that they they started coming up with um, much more strict IRB um, standards after mm. that that they realized that you know these experiments could actually cause great harm in the Sure. participants <laughs> they underestimated the awfulness of people uh. so yeah and i think there's been a lot of criticisms of that stuff um but what's re what's really interesting to me is that i didn't know this that philip zimbardo like his parents were like holocaust survivors you know and so he has this kind of like outlook on time where he reframes everything that's negative as positive all the time because like he watched his parents do it and recover from trauma and all that kind of stuff as well um and then also uh he grew up very very poor um i think in a very very poor area of new york and uh, nearly died essentially of um i think it was pneumonia something like that and a time when they didn't have any treatments for it and he just got shoved into a ward with a bunch of other kids um who you know to basically uh, isolate them and then um, once a week their parents would come and wave at them through glass screens a bit like prison or something and the kids would just be disappearing in the night and he just had this horrendous experience as a kid you know which we'd now call like adverse childhood experiences and trauma and all that kind of stuff and yet came out of it one of the most sunny kind of powerfully <laughs> disposed guys who just had like a, a lifetime of interest in people and how they view the world and how they see how they see their their own perspective on things so he came from that world of doing that and um and co-wrote this book specifically about how our concepts of time uh, that we hold which are not all the same we have very very different concepts of time between uh, individuals can hugely influence our lives our relationships the way we approach things um how far the quality of our work um, whether it's creative work systema or you know productive work whatever it's going to be so uh, i found this really really interesting and i think it came at a, a good time for me where i was feeling like there are too many things going on and i went mm, yeah they snagged me with the self-help title kind of like you know how the your perspective of time can change your life i'm like really let's give this a go so, <laughs> so that's where it in there so have you come across anything like this before i mean in your coaching you must have um looked at a lot of things to do with time management or like uh you know views on how you work things out yeah yeah when i when i coach people we start with the, the sort of top level time management things like time blocking and sure. priorities and that that uh, that famous parable of the the rocks and the sand and the big glass mm -hmm. Um, but quick, quickly, we get down to the realization that you can't do it all. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So which 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 leads to a more sort of spiritual or metaphysical perspective. Mm. Um, you know, just the you know, and you're the scientist, right? But I don't know that time exists, right? As as more than a construct. Yeah, there's an argument about it, whether it's separable from space-time, right? Um, whether or not it's just fully uh, a concept. And of course, in as a, as a concept, as a human concept, it is as a construction like anything else. But um, once you drill down into that, you can get down to, into things like, well, okay, well, gravity doesn't exist. You know, <laughs> surfaces don't exist. You know, things like that as well, you know, so edges. So um, so it, in, in the sense that it, it has real influence on the world, it, it does exist, right? Um, the, the arrow of it seems to go forwards most of the time, right? <laughs> as far as we can see it. And it's kind of in March. So in, in pragmatic terms, we might as well think of it as one of the only undeniable things in the kind of nothing certain but death and taxes type way. And that's actually one of the first points that um, Zibada makes in the book is that time is finite. And yet most of us act in some ways if it isn't like we spend all day every day trying to escape from the reality of that conclusion, right? <laughs> to distract mm. ourselves from it, from pushing things down, or trying to kind of drive things in. So I mean, regardless of who we are, like we only have like 24 hours in a day and if we're getting a decent amount of sleep we only actually have 16 working or waking hours with which to do anything right that way um we only have a 40-hour week if you're crazy and you can put in 60 80 100 hour weeks but you're probably not going to keep that up for long right <laughs> it's going to have its toll on you um just 52 weeks in a year if you're halfway even looking to spend any time with your family or enjoy life then maybe you want to cut that back to like 48 or 50 weeks in a year or something um and then you've only got about three to four decades of useful kind of work time right um Maybe again, you, if you really want to be bagging cans in Lowe's Foods when you're 90, then you can push that out another couple of decades. But that that probably shouldn't be the goal. So if if we kind of take all of that on board, like we do have a limited number of minutes, hours, seconds, and, and of course we don't know when that's going to stop abruptly. Right? Something you could have a heart attack or a stroke tomorrow. You could go under a bus, meteorite strike might wipe us all out. Right? So that's even like the optimistic view in a sense. Right? And we can come back to the idea of like. All right, but what's beyond death? Maybe time, you know our own personal time might be infinite and that kind of stuff. But as a basic premise of how we live our lives, we kind of know that, and yet we spend most of our day subtly trying to ignore it or get around it. Like when we have a gap in the day, time when we could do things, we kind of occupy that time with social media and, and passive entertainment and things like that so that we don't notice the passing of time and then get stressed about the fact we should probably do something more constructive with it, right? Um, and when we're at work, we kind of put these deadlines on ourselves, but then when we don't hit them, if it looks like we're not going to hit them, we push them and be like, yeah, it'll be fine. I've got time and we know that we haven't, you know? Um, so it's we have a really weird relationship with it. It's like we know it's there and we know it's inexorable, but we try and kind of ignore it most of the time. Yeah, I remember uh, 10, 15 years ago, there was this video that a guy made, it's a sort of coach consultant, um, basically comparing time to like money. Like imagine if you had a bank account every day and you got like, I forget the number of minutes in a day, but if you if that replenished every day and then you just like wasted it on shit and didn't spend it well or didn't spend it, you know, like to, to think of time as precious, yeah, there was a there was a movie actually very underrated. I thought it was a sci-fi movie, and I think it it kind of flopped at the um, at the movies because it it was like Justin Timberlake's first movie or something. So he was in it. It was just called I think In Time or On Time. I want to say, and it was like a future dystopia thing in which everybody in the world 
stops aging when they get to about a com- very convenient and attractive Justin Timberlake 24 or something like that, right? Your body stops aging and you have this little kind of implant thing in your wrist and, uh, and you literally get paid in time. So you go to work and you like bip your wrist and it adds another 24 hours to your life. And if you keep showing up for work, you get extra 24 hours, right? And then um, if you get paid more than that, then you, you know, rich people have a few months on the slot, you know, and the, and the super rich, you know, the Jeff Bezoses and, and people like that, like lived for like 400 years, you know, and they had time banks like in their safe they had these little electronic blocks where they'd stored like centuries worth and so they and their kids lived in these mansions in parts of town that you could only afford to get into by losing three months of your life you had to like bip it at the gate and stuff like that and everybody so everybody in the poor areas was constantly running around because they couldn't afford to lose any time they basically like paid by the minute and everybody in the rich areas were like eating a leisurely lunch and you know like driving slow cars and stuff like that it was a very interesting idea i thought it was a brilliant concept so that that reminds me i don't did I don't know if you've read um, Eliezer Yudkowsky's book. Um, he, he, I heard about him on Sam Harris. He's hmm. the sort of computer th- science theorist who, who's arguing, you know, yeah. sort of warning us about AI. Sure. So he, he, his book, uh, Inadequate Equilibria, was talking about like this thought experiment that I said, suppose you give you give up four years of your life and I'll basically give you more money and more status. Hmm. Yeah, and then he turns like, "Oh, that's college, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, yeah, I lost time at college to, to alcohol, and <laughs> I lost entire days in Scotland. I thought I'd never get back again. But anyway, we digress. Um, but yeah, so th- so this intro, but this whole idea of time is money. It's actually quite a new. It's a fairly new concept in terms of like civilization time. Um, but if you push everything all the way back, and this is again something Zibardo talks about in the book, and this was like if you take a long history perspective on time, it's really interesting to realize that this idea of kind of living by the clock, living on the clock and measuring every minute is, is quite a recent thing. Right? If you go back to kind of prehistory and, you know, all hunter gathering and just running out to like, you know, trap a rabbit or, you know, gather, gather your food day to day and that kind of stuff, people lived on what Zimbardo calls like nature time, right? You just, um, you wake up whenever you wake up when the, when the lions start roaring in the distance or, you know, the rainforest kind of starts waking up and the sun's coming up. You're like, yeah, you should probably get up now and do some stuff. And then you spend your day. And if you feel like napping, you nap. And if you feel like you need more food, then you, you go and eat more food and that kind of stuff. And it wasn't really until kind of like the agrarian age that we even started, like when we started farming, that we even started really paying a lot of attention to kind of moon months you know like going one to another and and the fact that a few moons might might uh add up to a season and that, that we know that the seasons change and so you can plan some moons ahead and and think well that's going to be a good time to harvest and you can plan some se- moons ahead and be like we need to get the seeds together for this time you know so we only really started taking long views of years when we went to kind of agrarian societies like most hunter gatherer societies many of them i think like the pidaha uh, <coughs> in um South America don't even have words for time beyond tomorrow. Like literally, it's just like there's today and there's a few hours, there's later, right? And there's not a few hours from now. It's like now, there's later, there's already done. (laughs) And there's like maybe after a sun, right? Like a sun away or something like that. And then that's it. There's no like long-term kind of view for it. They don't even have the language because they don't need it. Um, But then when you get into farming and you have to really start planning things when they're going ahead, as you do with your garden, right? You know, you have to plan things out throughout the whole year. Um, then you get into a, a, a seasonal, but it's still a kind of a nature time, right? Like spring might come a little bit late some years and, you know, the frosts might come a little bit early. So you're still kind of at the behest of 
these kind of shifting forces and you're and you're kind of in touch with nature and you're forced to kind of shift around and and balance to that right but you can't plan too much to the day because nature won't behave right it won't do exactly what you think it's going to do and then when we went to like civilizations um so say like you're in ancient cairo or rome or something and you're a cobbler right you might have a shot and you might have sundials and they had calendars then right there might have been slightly different calendars like julian instead of the you know the gregorian and all that kind of stuff but the point was that you're as you started to kind of like uh, trade things and stuff like that, your kind of your productivity was a function of how much you did, right? So if you want to make more money so that you can pay for your daughter's wedding or you, you can, um, you know, buy nice clothes or whatever it's going to be, then if you were a cobbler, it, it was about making more shoes. So, right, you would get up and you'd make more shoes and you'd sell more shoes to the travelers and all that kind of stuff. And that was the function of how you spent your time, right? You're like, today I'm going to make more shoes and then tomorrow there'll be a bunch of people coming through and I'll flog those. And then for a few days after that, maybe I can rest because I've, I, I made enough for this, right, to do it. And it was only really with the shift to industrial um, working and factories that we started to sell our time instead of our efforts, right? So that same cobbler, um, as Zimbardo talks about, if he was in industrial age England, right, might have held out with his little mum and pop cobbler shop for a little while making his shoes, but then he can make maybe four pairs of shoes a day and the factory up the road is turning out four pairs an hour. You know, everybody's just kind of knocking through them. So at that point, he gives up, sells his shop, goes to work in the factory, and now he's selling his time. He's like, I'm selling 10 hours of, of being on this production line, right? And, it's, and it doesn't matter anymore how many pairs of shoes he makes as long as he shows up, right? And then you get all these movements like, social, uh, like Marxism and stuff saying, the workers are being exploited because they're not getting paid as much as the shoes they're making. But, but, but that's not actually the deal. The deal is that they're selling their time. So it doesn't matter how many shoes they make. So it's kind of a, an apples to oranges comparison. So this is a really interesting thing in that time only really became money when we started to bill ourselves and each other by the second and by the minute. And now we find ourselves in this post-industrial digital age where we kind of got the worst of both worlds, right? We're, we're measured down to the second, right? We're, we're billed by like AT&T right now. The phone company are billing us by the second probably for this phone call right? <laughs> and everything that we're doing. And yet we're increasingly, a lot of us are having to do kind of like gig economy things where we're only paid for what we actually produce for people. We're not paid by the hour and stuff like that, right? We're, we're paid for a thing, a website, or we're paid for, you know, something that we give for people. And yeah, there are salaried positions and other stuff like that, but we find ourselves trying to cram more and more into this time that we're expected to work in. We're expected to produce and show up nonstop, right? So it's kind of like productivity um, or productivity like enhancement gone mad, right? Every, everybody's expecting us to be maximally efficient all of the time or fall behind. Well, now I'm depressed. (laughs) I want want to go back to to hunter gatherer. Right. So, I mean, so yeah, and you can, and some of us kind of, there's a movement towards this, right? You see people um, doing this kind of thing, going a lot simpler and wanting to get back into, you know, farming and earlier practices and partly to escape this world, right. And just to get off the clock and not have an iPhone and not have a watch and go back. But we have to remember that, you know, that time wasn't ideal either in a lot of ways, right. It was kind of brutish. Our lives were shorter and we didn't get to enjoy the technology, but surely there's, there's some kind of balance in between some way that we can think about our time that lets us live in the modern world, but not suffer the way that we are psychologically. Hi folks, Glenn here. As Systema for Life approaches its 100th episode, I'd like to take a minute to thank everyone who has contributed to the show, all our listeners, and to everyone who's offered requests, encouragement, and feedback along the way. 
I also need to ask a quick favor. We have already enjoyed two years of high-quality interviews, insights, and ideas on Systema for Life. We'd like to keep the show going, and we want to keep it open to all, but we need your help to do it. It takes time, effort, and more than little cash to produce a podcast. More than two grand a year at current hosting and production rates. We have no paid advertising, and we do it all off our own backs, with help from listeners and generous supporters like you. So if you're a fan of Systema for Life, and you get real value from the ideas and the conversations we create, then please take a few minutes now to subscribe at www.ncsystema.com support. Support at whatever level you feel like you can afford. Even $3 or $5 a month is a help. Think of it as buying us a beer or a cup of coffee once a month for our travels. So visit ncsystema.com support and use the buttons on the page to select your preferred monthly or annual support level. You'll receive a confirmation on sign-up, and you can cancel at any time. Your support really does help ensure the survival of the show. With gratitude, I'm wishing everybody a very Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. So a lot of this reminds me a great deal of the way civilizations have been struggling with this for the past 2,000 years. So in fact, one, one of the, you know, the, the, the chief contributions of Christianity to world culture was the idea of celibacy. Hmm. Which which was um, brought about because of the, you know people wanting to get out of time, like one hmm. one way to not be subject to years and decades was simply to withdraw from the the cycle of, of reproduction. Hmm. So it seemed like priests could could withdraw or or monks could withdraw into their monasteries, yeah, and and have inf- essentially the eternal now. Hmm. Right. And, and yeah, they had to get up and work. But if you have ever if you've ever sort of like visited a monastery, you know, yeah, they're very like, you know, complines and matins and, and the, you know, the hours. Hmm. And yet there's a circular rhythm where one day is the same as as the previous day. And they're kind of they're kind of in this circle hovering outside of the commercial time of the world that they were escaping from. So it feels kind of timeless right? because of that as well. Yeah, so it's like you know, so like you were talking about, like time is is finite and therefore mm. it's precious. Mm. But you know, the 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 problem with that is that we can now we feel like okay, my time is running out. Mm. I don't have enough time. Like yeah. like my like my big thing for many years, and it this was only it was only pointed out to me. I didn't recognize. I, didn't, I never came upon this myself. Was like I lived my entire life as if I was five minutes late. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm I'm walking through the supermarket and I'm in this aisle and I think, well, I should have been in that aisle, but already, right. you know, like I want to like, what's the quickest, what's the quickest checkout yeah. lane or, yeah. you know, and like everything was like, um, there's not enough. Yeah. And, and so re- recognizing that even with, with the finite time that there is, there is abundance hmm. and there is sort of, you know, this idea of eternity, like, hmm. This it's always now. Interesting. So, uh-huh. so that um, so that's really interesting because um, what what the, the psychologists have discovered in studying people's attitudes towards time is that you know different cultures and different religions have different concepts of it, um, and that gives a strong influence to the culture of a people and how they move and how they do things. And they've even measured this down to like different, like how fast or slow is a given country, like globally mm-hmm. they'll measure entire countries and they'll do it as an index of like how many people wear 
wristwatches how fast do they walk on the street when they're going from place to place and things like that mm. um and and they found oh. some interesting it throughout all of like 50 countries apparently mexico is one of the slowest the the, the pace of mm. like, like even slower than you know europe uh, spain and europe and some other places like or greece and uh, but and even within the states as well there's places that are slower and places that are faster and of course like new york is one of the fastest and like philadelphia <laughs> and then other places are a lot slower and it's, it's really interesting yeah. how the culture influences the way the people interact with each other yeah, have you have you heard of the the uh, the metric of hankoseconds? Oh, is, uh, let me guess. That's how many milliseconds it takes for somebody the red light to get the green light to go in front before you lean on the horn. Exactly, <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah, that's brilliant. Right, I think like New York was the world was the world leader. Right, so yeah. like a, a nanosecond or something. <laughs> as soon as the light changes, quicker than you can actually perceive green. They were leaning right. on the light. Like, that's amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so the um, so this idea of different perspectives of time, right? And so what you described, going from a perspective of thinking all the time about um, the future, essentially, like, oh, I have to do this thing in time. If I don't do this, then I won't do this. Or you know, like, how could I make it faster? How could I get there? Constantly thinking ahead is what um, Zimbardo calls a future time perspective. Right? You live your entire life in the future you're not in the present you're not in the past you're just thinking all the time about what's coming next or what's coming down the road and people in this bracket on the one hand are you know can be quite successful because they're constantly planning and they're constantly hitting deadlines they're very like studious they're very effective at work they're great project managers all that kind of stuff right um but they also suffer horribly from like anxiety and ibs and stuff like that because they're constantly <laughs> just like they can't go fast enough like you were saying like they will never go fast enough and they will never get enough into their time right um so if you spend all of your time in that complete future perspective like i have i'm living in my future then you don't get to enjoy your present very much and you kind of hurt yourself on the way there, pretty much. So the shift that you're talking about is from future to what he calls transcendental future. And that can come from a belief that time is is not actually finite, right? That death is just the beginning. Um, so for many Christians, death is the beginning of a you know a new life afterwards, like in eternity. Um, for you know Buddhists, it's, it's you know you you just go back into the cycle. Hindus, it's like reincarnation. You know, different things happen at different times, right? Um, it could be a wheel of time that comes back. And when you have that view. Um, as a society, then that everything seems to kind of slow down and everything becomes based upon rituals and family and just showing up because they realize that the, the only meaningful waypoints along the way here are just like, you know, things are happening. There's funerals, there's marriages, there's showing up with the family to eat breakfast, there's the ritual. And, and you see this in, in Japan. I lived there for a few years and everything's very... Um, which is interesting. The traditional culture is very kind of spread out that way as if there is a wheel of life and it's all natural and coming back around. But then when you go into the cities, everybody's on clock time again. Right. <laughs> and, gone. and, uh, and that's a great example of, um, being on clock time versus productivity or event time because Japanese people are, you know, you have to show that you're, um, in office, for example, you show dedication by showing up early and being the last one to go home. And it doesn't matter if you fall asleep at your desk for two and a half hours in the middle of the day, right? The fact is that you were there at five in the morning and you're leaving at seven, right? That shows the dedication, not what you actually produce. So it's like, it's a, it's kind of an odd paradox that goes through. So what you did essentially was make the shift from a basic future time perspective or like an anxious future time to a transcendental one where you're like, well, there is the time and it will be used and there's no point in me fretting about it and trying to cram everything. Time will be what it will be. Right. So you kind of consciously there made a choice at some point, whether somebody pointed it out to you or, or your health or your sanity was starting to flag. You know? At some point you were like, I need to change the way I think uh, I think about time so that I can move and 
live differently in the world. Right. And, you know, and, and my personal experience of this has been, you know, as someone who's always worried, like there won't be enough time, or if I'm planning a program, I have to make sure that I've got, you know, 300 slides just to like, what happens if I like run out of my, you know, my presentation ends four minutes before, yeah. you know, yeah. like, like, like terror around that. Even though it's never happened, right? <laughs> right. But I'm wondering yeah. like, you know, so every single week you have to plan three or four classes and kind of figure out sure. how, how long each thing could be. And in my experience, like the, the more I relax, the more everything happens the way it should, whether whether that's at all mapped onto the way I thought it should have, you know, I thought yeah. it would happen or should happen. So you kind of take yourself temporarily outside of time. But in a sense, when you're doing that, what you're doing is shifting on purpose from a future perspective to a present perspective, right? You're, you're embodying the present fully and you're saying now is the only time we have, right? So there's no point in me worrying about will I have enough time, and there's no point in worrying about whether or not I failed before when I did this, or you know that I used to do this better or anything like that. You're just burying yourself completely in the present, which is kind of a a bit of an idea of what they do with uh, in meditation a lot of the time, right? In traditional Tibetan or uh, Buddhist meditation, it's this idea that all right, there is the future, there is the the past, but the present is the only place where you're actually conscious and experiencing anything. So refocus on the now. And you see this in Sistema too, right? In Sistema, the, the best work is done when you're open and you're spontaneous and you're actually seeing what's going on in front of you right now, not when you're planning or anticipating what the guy might do next or feeling sorry for yourself because the last thing that you did didn't work or the guy seems to be owning you or you know whatever it's going to be. It's it's You have to recalibrate and be like, there is only now. There isn't 10 minutes ago. There isn't 20 minutes from now. There is only now. <laughs> Right. And, 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 but not almost, a little, there's something a little bit different. Like, like I've, um, I just did a retreat. Yeah. Um, and there was, you know, nine people participating and I wanted everyone to get an experience. Mm -hmm. And so like at the beginning, like there's plenty of time, there's a whole weekend ahead of us. People were taking, you know, taking like an hour or two hours to go through their experience. And then you realize, oh, this isn't, this math isn't going to work out mm, yeah. for, for everybody. And, and, you know, so I can feel a little anxiety. Like I don't want to ch shortchange people. I don't want people to feel like they didn't get what they came for. Yeah. And it, there, there's a way in which sort of, I sort of can relax into like, there's, there's almost like the, there's my time, like my watch on my wrist and my comparison to the timeline I've created. And then the group kind of has a different time hmm. that when, when you kind of surrender to uh, things will unfold as they should. Sure. OK. That that people did like, like it's almost like, you know, like Einstein's. Um, understanding of relativity that and yeah. that we all can experience like three minutes, sure. you know, getting uh, Novocaine is not the same as three minutes watching Instagram or something. Sure. Yeah. Right. That, that, yeah. that there are ways in which it feels like it actually can expand or contract. Yeah. Based on a good relationship with it. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that comes down a little bit to the time with stress, like when we're experiencing stress our perception of time differs, right? Um, and when we're really, really stressed out, our, you know, time seems to disappear in a different way altogether. Like we can't even recognize friendly faces or we won't even listen to people that are trying to help us, right? <laughs> and mm. we, we kind of remove ourselves from the entire situation. We can't even see or plan consequences 
right? When we're, when we're fully stressed out, the limbic brain kicks in and we just go into this kind of crazy, crazy, like survive at all costs thing. And so the limbic brain in a very real sense kicks us all the way into the now and says nothing else happens but what you do in the next 10 seconds, right? Um, and that's mm. something we have to work against sometimes because it can just make us, in the short term, that might save our lives. Um, but in the in the long term, that's not a state we can continue to inhabit because the, the same habits don't work. You know, if we did everything as if we only had 10 seconds to live, right? we would maybe get to live a few days. <laughs> so it's, it's like, I'm going to do all the crack. I'm going to do all the, uh, just do all the next two days and that'll be it. Right? Or well, no, maybe it worked for Keith Richards. He seems to be kicking still. So it's, it's not yeah. too bad. But, um, but see, so that gets into, um, so from Zimbardo and Boyd's perspective, there are actually six common time perspectives, right? That, um, that people embody. Um, and you see these shared in cultures across the world. And it's not that all of us embody only one of these. We actually shift between them depending on what's going on in our lives and stuff like that. But we have like dominant tendencies, like we'll spend more time as a default state kind of thinking about these. And we've already talked about the future, like people who are kind of always planning, they seem to be always on time and they always you know, save a lot of money, put it in the bank, they're shrewd investors, that kind of stuff. But they're also very anxious and they have ulcers and IBS and all kinds of stuff like that, right? Because they're constantly just thinking about the future and not actually relaxing into the now, right? Then you have that transcendent future which is death is just the beginning of a new life and you know there's there's plenty of time it's the time is there what will be will be because god or allah or the universe has willed it to be so right um so those people live life on a in a different way right and i experienced this in uh in like thailand when i went there right it's a predominantly buddhist culture and that kind of stuff but things happen when they happen right it's almost like event time again it's like when the bus is full it will leave it doesn't leave at 2 p.m right <laughs> stuff like that like you know when the sea is a bit calmer the boat might go you know like kind of stuff like that so people just kind of give themselves back over to nature a little bit and they go back into nature time when they get this transcendental future view but within the present there are two kind of attitudes towards the present as well so it's the present fatalistic which is what will be will be right now, right? And it kind of, in that sense, is like, it doesn't matter what I do. Everything's kind of, the cards are dealt, right? And it doesn't really matter how I act. Um, it's probably going to turn out this way anyway, right? Um, and it used to be people talked about this in terms of fate, like literally the fates and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe, you know, God has set out your path and you're destined for this to happen, right? Um, and even though that's less fashionable now, now we seem to kind of almost equate genes with that. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, if I'm going to die of lung cancer, I'm going to die of lung cancer because I have the genes. It doesn't matter if I smoke or not, right? Or my whole family's obese, right? We've always been big people. So it doesn't matter whether I eat <coughs> a whole food plant-based diet or paleo or keto, whatever it's going to be. I'm always going to be big. There's no point. It's just genes. I've got these big genes. Right? So, mm. um, so those people become present fatalistic, right? So on the one hand, they're not spending all their time worrying about the future. But on the other hand, because they're kind of fatalistic about what they do mattering each day, they also tend to have like bad behaviors as it relates to health, right? They'll make poor food choices and they'll make uh, poor, um, other kinds of choices, you know what I mean? It's just like, well, whatever happens, it will happen. I can't really control it, right? You're a little bit too hands-off. And then there's the, um, another side to that, which is the present hedonistic, which is people who are just like, I'm going to do what feels good today. I'm not going to do it now, right? Um, and so I'm just going to enjoy the present. Right? So the present fatalistic are in the present, but they're not really enjoying it. They're typically quite unhappy, and they're just like, eh, this is my lot. This is what I can do. And present hedonists are enjoying your life every day, but they don't make good choices either. But the difference is that the present hedonists make like the bad choices health-wise and all that kind of stuff because 
they're like, well, there's no other time and I'm just going to enjoy this time and I've got to make the best of it. Whereas the present fatalists are like, I'll probably die, but, you know, whether I do or not, it's not really in my control. So they, you know, they make bad choices for the mm. same reasons. See, that's that's an interesting distinction because I don't see it. Okay. And like I, I see people sort of in both camps flipping back and forth depending on the mood and the day. Yeah, and that's um, and that is what Zimbardo says, right? And that people will flip backwards and forwards, but there is a dominant trend to it, right? People are either fatalistic as a as a core kind of idea in their head um about the present or they're hedonistic about the present right um to it to an extent but anyway it's a that's mm -hmm. the idea that we we carry these concurrently and it will reveal things about us um and then there's two more time perspectives and these relate to the past um so the first one is past positive and this is people that are constantly reminiscing about oh i have lovely memories about my childhood and you know it, it gives me pleasure to think about the old days and, and my family and us all getting together um, and these people tend to have really really good health outcomes and they're not very stressed out most of the time they're kind of they're they build their lives in a kind of a happy steady way you know kind of like the stay-at-home mum who just loves to keep the house and keep the whole family together and all that kind of stuff you know they they the past was a great thing and they had a wonderful childhood or actually some people had awful pasts right they had trauma and they transcended it and they were like i'm just going to reframe that as a growth experience and now mm -hmm. everything and the past then helped me and then i'm now going to build routines and family and social engagement and things like that that reframe or hold the past as a positive thing that you want to recreate every day right so you're you're living the present as if you want to hold on to a past that's really really good and for the most part that's really positive and um, we can do that until you're you're trying to cling to a past that's no longer there right or a reality that can no longer be created like if we lose somebody in our family that we used to be an important part of the ritual to or you know we have to move to another place or the situation changes and we're like oh well the past was really lovely but this doesn't seem as lovely as the past you know that's when it can trip us up and make us feel a little bit too clingy um and then the last perspective is this past negative which is whenever i think of the past it's just i can't help but think of awful experiences that happened to me and um you know it's 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 a very kind of negative it's like i'm the product of my broken past and i'll never get beyond it you know like mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what i do in the present um and where i'm going in the future because i'll always be damaged from what happened to me as a kid or as a teenager or high school or whatever it's going to be and these people predictably you know suffer the worst from depression right um so they 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 join the present um, fatalists in the, in the thing of like, well, it doesn't matter. Um, but what differs is that the present fatalists might be like, well, the past was pretty good or it was pretty bad, but right now it doesn't matter. Things are just hanging out. Whereas um, past negative people b uh, blame or basically hold the past as the reason for their, their present suffering. And, and so they kind of give up their sense of agency in life, right? So they make bad health choices and stuff because they feel like they were just dealt a crappy hand and there's no going forward from here. Right. And, and the crappy hand could include their inability to make other health choices right? Yeah. or to do it sustainably. It's not just like, well, there's no point. It's like, yeah. I can't, I have, right. So you see, we, I see this a lot. Hmm. And again, I think this is, you know, I think somebody could be sort of past negative about their health yeah. and future positive about their business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people carry these concurrently. Um, but, but the major point, I think, that um, and this will circle back around to Sistema in a minute, I promise. And um, the major <laughs> point that they make in the book is that um, if we're not aware of the ways in which we've kind of been conditioned to jump into certain mindsets, right? So when we're at home, 
we're past positive and we're like, I'm at home with the family and I'm trying to recreate traditions that my family had and that's who I am. I'm past positive Howie when I'm at home, right? But as soon as you go into your little podcasting room, you turn into future obsessed Howie and you're like all time. And then when you make the jump between those two things, there's like a 20 minute lag where you're shouting at your kids because you're still future focused business Howie and they're all, and they're expecting past positive family howie do you know what i mean like that thing uh-huh. or, or the other way around or like you spend a lot of time with your family and or you're you're hedonistic about the present and you're like i'm having a great time with my life and i'm spending time with my kids and then you go back into work and you're like yeah i don't feel like doing that right now <laughs> i'm just gonna put off that editing i'm gonna put off that meeting or that big project um because i i like doing this other stuff right now or like oh it doesn't really matter how much work i do right i it doesn't matter if I make more shoes that the CEO is getting richer and I'm not. So it's not really, it doesn't matter how much I put in. Do you see what I mean? So we, we'll carry different time perspectives in. You're quite right in different areas of our lives. And what they're arguing for is becoming aware of it, right? Becoming aware of how your psychological state as it relates to time is influencing your behaviors in each of those little situations or all mm. those places you find yourself. And, and arguing that basically if you can become aware of that pattern, then you can, consciously make a shift in much the same way as we do in Sistema when we're like, well, I'm aggressive right now. I'm feeling threatened. And you notice that state and you consciously use breath work and a reframing in order to relax yourself. And then you end up doing better work, right? You shift yourself more into a present instead of a future anxious state and you can do better work. In the same way, if you're at work and you're kind of feeling a bit Facebooky and hedonistic, like, yeah, I'm just doing this thing. I'm going to put it off or fatalistic. You'd be like, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm treating work as if it doesn't matter or I'm treating work as if it's not fun and therefore I'm not going to get anything done. My situation's not going to change. So I need to shift into a little bit of a, like a future planning mode or something else like that. Do you know what I mean? So that I can mm-hmm. get the best use out of this situation. And the same thing with health. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? So, yeah. So what I find really interesting about that is, and I'm just beginning to kind of map it out, Yeah. but like capitalist society probably has certain ways of looking at time that they want us to have absolutely yeah and right school. so the so, same yeah. the same way as I'll, I'll drive down the road and i'll see billboards for for you know mcdonald's and burger king yeah and you know a society that wants me to eat in a certain way and yeah. shows me advertisements that wants me to consume in a certain way hmm. there like there are certain ways that i'm supposed to deal with time that make me obedient and consumptive and sure. and a, a credit to this society mm. and almost like being conscious of it is a little bit of a of a liberation sure um, and but that that doesn't apply only to capitalist societies right if you look to socialist societies it's like everything is supposed to be done for the good of all people even that if that means you have to sacrifice your time and your happiness you know so there's right so, so, yeah, there's, so every, yeah, yeah. yeah so every every, every you know, collectivist society where yeah. the where the where there are, you know, I would say I would say elites yeah. who are who are benefiting from them from some sort of archy, some sort of power differential. Yeah. Um, you, you know, this is this is probably a really key way to maintain sovereignty over yourself is to be aware of how you view time.
Join us here at NC Sistema the weekend of January 24th to 26th, 2020, for a deep exploration of Sistema principles with senior Sistema instructor Emmanuel Manolakakis. In this next seminar, entitled Reconstruction, Emmanuel will guide you in the process of building your awareness, skill, and control under a wide range of combative situations, with a view to deepening and consolidating your abilities. This will be Emmanuel's second event at NC Sistema. The third and final event in the series is planned for January 2021. The event will be held at Mid-South Fences Club in downtown Durham, North Carolina, and is priced at $255 for the whole weekend if you register before January the 1st. Podcast patrons can save an additional 10% by entering the discount code PATRONS, that's P-A-T-R-O-N-S, all caps, at the checkout stage. Numbers for this seminar are strictly limited, so sign up online today at ncsystema.com events. See you there. And if you take a really extreme example, you could look at something like the Taliban or ISIS, right? So they push the future transcendental view of like, the only thing that matters in what you do with life right now is the glory of the greater kingdom or something. Do you know what I mean? And that's how they can get people to blow themselves up and do terrible things because it's like, well, this life doesn't even really matter in the big scale of things, right? It's like, your past doesn't matter. Your present doesn't matter. Even like the the future of your life doesn't matter to the extent that you can erase it tomorrow for the greater transcendental benefits. Do you know what I mean? That's the only way you can get somebody to do that is to get them, is to enforce that time perspective, right? So... Yeah, well, when I was I was studying archaeology in in Israel many years ago, hmm. and we saw we saw a really clear correlation between sort of political lack of power and disenfranchisement and the elegance of the sarcophagi. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like so, you know, this like es- eschatology. The you know eschaton is Greek for the end of days. Hmm. Like when when life is going well, when your group is in power, when when the rains are falling and the and the crops are coming in, you don't think so much about like end sure. of days. But as right. soon as things are get crappy, yeah. you're like, let's let's talk afterlife. Yeah, definitely. Or you could look in um, medieval Europe as well for um yeah cathedrals. You know, I grew up in a very close to Canterbury in Kent in England, um, you know, the Canterbury Tales and all the famous kind of things about that. Mm. The pilgrims used to go there. Um, and there's this beautiful, massive cathedral, right? And who was that built by? It wasn't, you know, it was <laughs> built by the people of the city. In Over the course of some of these cathedrals took literally like 150 years to build. Like some of them took two, 300 years to build. And it's like, it's crazy, you know. Mm. But um, you don't do that just by having people like paying people over a long period of time because you're very rich. I mean, some of that comes in, some of it was slave labor, you know, like the pyramids or something. Um, But it's also just a massive commitment on the part of people who for the most part were pretty poor and downtrodden. And they're like, I'm building this thing that's going to live beyond me and point skywards up to heaven as a, as a Mm. monument to my, you know, dedication to a future life. And it's like, because my current life is pretty crappy. I go to, you know, I go to work, I smash some stones and I earn enough, you know, to get some food for my family and some gruel. And I try not to die of the pox. That's my daily existence. (laughs) But it's, uh, but, but I'm doing something that's bigger and bigger than me. Right. Um, And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Uh, You know, great things get done when people have a perspective beyond themselves and they, they realize they're part of something bigger. Um, But you want this to be a conscious choice and not something that's being done to you. Right. Right. Uh, And there's, and the other thing is that not all the time perspectives are aligned in our modern society, right? So we have the hangover from industrialism, which is time is money, get things done, right? When you're at work, you're expected to produce and you're expected to do lots and lots of things and cram it all into the time that you have, make however many sales calls or deliver however many projects, whatever it's going to be, right? Um, But when you're 
you know, flicking on Facebook or Instagram or something, you have a different team of people who are trying to get you to waste your time to spend as much possible time as possible staring at this stuff. So you see more ads and you buy more things and stuff like that. Right. So, um, so there's that, there's that kind of, uh, tension between those two groups of people pulling you in different directions. One drive to make you think constantly about, Oh God, I've got to get this finished. Oh, what's going on? You know, future, future, future. And there's another one, which is just like, no, hang out. Just be with your friends in the world in Facebook and don't worry about what's going on, right? <laughs> and these things push us backwards and forwards. And then the more time we spend wasting our time, the less time we plant seeds and deliver on things. Um, and conversely, the more time we spend, you know, delivering on the, you know, the modern industrial dream, the less time we actually enjoy our lives and we make ourselves miserable. And so we get pushed between these two extremes all the time. Right. And, and, and then someone as cynical as me would yeah. say that's the that's that's their plan. Uh-huh. Right. That, that, you know, in order to in order to be a compulsive, mindless consumer, mm. we need to be driven by this feeling of lack. Like mm. and, the, and the ultimate lack is lack of time. Mm. OK. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. If there was a design, I'm, I'm usually skeptical about people being organized enough to do that. I don't think there's a shadowy oh. cabal of capitalists. I just think the, the system evolves as it does and, it's, and people end up where they do. Right. So it's, there's right. But we can, we can change things if we don't like them. Sure. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah, so, so, like the- yeah. so this brings us around to, you know, what can we do about this? Right. Um, it, it's all very well to talk about your perspectives of time in a lofty philosophical way and say, oh, I tend to think about time like this and you tend to think about it like that. Um, but how can we actually make use of this? And one thing that I've been kind of looking at is that this pressure that we have at the moment in our society has an influence on your work, right? Um, it has an influence on how you spend your life. And it also experience, has an influence on how you acquire a skill or train or get good at something, right? Um, and I think Sistema has something to say about all of those things, right? Um, so in terms of delivering on work, if there's a constant pressure to get things done, right, just to get things done today and by the end of the, um, you know, by the, end of the day, by the end of the week, then if you look at kind of if we go back to the kind of the, the, the uh, agrarian metaphor of like, you know, when you were hunting and gathering, all you really did was pick fruit, right? You were just like, pick fruit. If I'm more hungry, I'll pick more fruit. And maybe I'll, today I'll pick enough for tomorrow, but there's no point in picking all the fruit because it will rot, you know? Um, right. Then basically we have this hangover in our brains of like, yeah, if there's low hanging fruit, we should pick it. We should do easy, quick things and stuff it into our faces, right? Um, or easy, quick jobs and get paid for them, right? Um, and then right. there's the harvest, right? There's things that we've been working on for a little while and they're just kind of coming to fruition. And we're like, all right, well, I've only got a limited time to benefit from this. So I've put a lot of money in or I've put a lot of time into this. So I need to just gather this up and and the fruits of my my past labors, that kind of that way. And then there's the seed projects. There's the things that you know you should take some time to put aside and plant a little seed because over time, not tomorrow, not next month even, but in, in a year, it will make a big difference. And so for work, this might be like the new side project that you know could change the whole you know, dynamic of how you work. It could, you know, be a product that gets you off the, you know, time is money treadmill. It could be, you know, the the big uh, thing that you invent that impresses the boss that gets you promoted or whatever it's going to be. Right. And in terms of health choices, it might be the thing that you're like, well, you know, I need to lose 150 pounds and that's not going to happen tomorrow. Right. Um, but if I just start today with a very, very small thing and plant a seed, then I might get there versus like just make one choice today and pick the low hanging fruit. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, there's the balancing of those things like the, the, the attention to the seeds 
against the backdrop of things that need harvesting and low-hanging fruit. And I think what we tend to do a lot of the time is keep picking low-hanging fruit, maybe cut down half the harvest, plant zero seeds, mm. and we go from day to day like that in our work and in our health lives. Yeah, and you know, and then um, you know, people often when they have the 150 pounds to lose or reverse diabetes, it feels very overwhelming. Like I have to change everything. Yeah. And when I start working with people, they often realize or we realize together that actually you need to change about two minutes a day. Right. Yeah. There you go. Right. So it's, you know, when do you need to apply that that elusive willpower? It's mm. are you going to turn left or turn right at this intersection? Yeah. That'll determine whether you end up at Wendy's mm. or at Whole Foods. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And how this applies to training um, for me is, is, is an interesting thing in that, you know, there's lots of things we could be doing in Systema for training, right? Um, so we could be doing breath work on the daily, just taking some time to relax ourselves and get into our bodies and kind of experience our nervous system. Um, we could be doing physical exercises to kind of build the body, make it combative, you know, make sure we have range and mobility. We could be stretching, making ourselves more loose and more relaxed as a, you know, as a part of daily existence. We could be working on specific drills we could be working on specific skills and then we could be doing like this the long-term work of really looking inside and sort of seeing what it is that motivates you watching yourself throughout the day to see how you react to things right so there's so much you could be doing um and we can't do it all so i think what people sometimes default to is the low-hanging fruit they're like well okay well, i'll do like a, a i'll show up for class Right. <laughs> and then the teacher will train me and I'll train with some of my friends and I'll just do what's I'll do a little bit. And then that's my systema for the day. Right. Or for the week, even mm. or something like that. Right. And then over time, they're not really planting any seeds for improvement. They're just showing up, picking the low hanging fruit of like I put my time in. Right. So it's like the guy who's just showing up for work because he gets paid by the hour. Right. <laughs> He's not mm. really doing very much. He's just kind of there kicking back Facebook and wherever it's going to be. But you just kind of show up and then expect it to be changed. And, you know, if you do that, you'll continue to feed yourself, right? You'll keep stuffing fruit into your face and you'll have like, you'll maintain a minimal level of skill, but you probably won't grow. And most people, I think, do a combination of that. And then maybe they like harvest a little bit, right? They've built up some body skill over time and they've built up some body awareness. And then they kind of take that in the direction. They're like, oh, this is fun. So every day I'll roll around a little bit or maybe I'll get into calisthenics or, you know, or I'll do, or I'll do something else, which my new body and my new abilities are giving me. Right. I can kind of I can enjoy the benefits of having trained for a few years and do that. And then I'll go and pick fruit when I go to class, like kind of that way. Right. But the real change happens, I think, when you plant those seeds, when you when you dedicate a little bit of time every single day um, or drip feeding it throughout the day into watching how you react and how your emotional state is and being honest about who you are in training and and, you know, being strict with yourself and making yourself go slower, making yourself use less tension and trying to seek those kind of elusive corridors of power that you can find in, in per, interpersonal reactions right? kind of this way. So, so we, in, in the same way that we need to balance the perspective on our time at work, I think we need to balance the perspective of what we're doing in Systema in order to get the most kind of quality out of what we're doing. There is a necessary bit of fruit picking you have to do, right? You do have to do your push-ups and you do have to, you know, do your breath work and do some walking and remember how to move and breathe. Um, but there's, there's a lot more than that. And I think that the growth over time requires you to keep a bit of a future perspective. You can't just do the things that feel good now, like the, the rolling around on the ground and the winning and ground fighting. And the, do you know what I mean? And punching each other a little bit. That does feel good and it's worth doing. But if you don't want to do that really slow push-up, 
and you keep putting it off, you're never going to get any better at the other things that, mm. that grow from that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's interesting because um, the, in the last four days, I have had a different relationship with uh, with my morning dows. Okay. And in what way? It's, it's I've started, I, I mean, I've been trying to do this, but it started like working. Like mm. af, there's a moment after the douse is over, and the douse is always horrible, mm, right. right? There's a moment where I'm just breathing in, and mm. I'm do, I'm doing the you know the the progressive relaxation thing, you know, tensing and relaxing. Mm. After the second one, I just stand there for a few seconds, and I feel good. Mm-hmm. Okay, like even you know even no matter how cold it is, I, my body's starting to heat up, yeah, and I'm feeling like oh this is good. And what I've discovered just in the past few days is that that thought is now propelling me out of bed Mm. almost as much as, okay, here's the thing I don't want to do. Okay. Right. Like, like my, my, my strategy for dowsing has been, I'm going to hear all the reasons why I shouldn't do it today. And I'm just, I'm not going to think I'm just going to do it like an effing robot. Fight through, right? Yeah. Daily fight through. Yeah. Daily fight through. And for the first time, it's like, oh, this is going to feel like there's almost looking forward to it. Right. So, so that even in, in that, in the moment Mm. that there is, it's, it's almost like a fusing of the, the positive, you know, the, what did you say? The the transcendental future. Yeah. Into this, like it superimposes itself onto this moment by virtue of moment mindfulness in the moment. Yeah. I now take that as as like a planted seed. Yeah. For for the next time I anticipate that moment. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, and that's a really really important insight I think, and it's one that you can you can carry through to, you know, doing a drill that you don't like if you're getting punched repeatedly by three people or something and you just have to kind of endure it and move. If you're just thinking, I'm just going to get through this, right? you're just enduring it, mm. then that will bring psychological tension and physical tension that will make it hurt and you'll probably be more likely to get injured and you probably won't grow. You'll just be like, well, that's something I have to do once in a while. But, you know, when's it my turn? You know, going that way, right? <laughs> Whereas if you have that idea, you're like, oh, every strike here is making me stronger. Every strike is making me more relaxed. And it's, you know, it's not fun, but it's information that's coming into my body. And it's allowing me to get to a place that's going to be really fun. And this is why you see systemic instructors, you know, when they're getting punched a lot of the time, they're grinning, you know, <laughs> they're, just, they're grinning and breathing. They're just like, whoo, that was a good one. Or they laugh when they take a particularly bad one, you know, stuff like that. Because it's like, we know that this is going to be good for us in the long term. There's something, there's, there's a joy to be taken in that you know yeah um, and that's and that's the that's the final point i think that zimbardo makes that it's um that we want the ability to move between these states like consciously but there is a state that kind of uh goes across them right that allows you to hold all of these things concurrently so so it's almost as if they don't matter and that's the state of almost having no concept of time right and that is elusive that's not something that most people can do with all the pressures culturally that we have, all the pressures from work, the pressures from our families, we can't just exist outside of time like the monks do, right? Um, when there are things happening, unless you really kind of spend a lot, a lot of effort in noticing how you react to things and then just let all of that go. So it comes back to this whole idea of just being completely open. You're present, but not in the sense of you're focused on what's happening now. You're just allowing everything to happen to you. And then the future and the past and the present all seem to just be experienced as one gooey part in the timeline, which is probably what time is, right? We just put that label as coming back to your first point. Do we just create it as something that goes from the past into the future? Possibly, right? So maybe experiencing that is experiencing the truth actually of what time is. 
Well, I mean, that's my explanation for when I see Vladimir work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, okay, I see it all. It's like, you know, like I'm looking at a movie and he's looking at a, um, you know, a painting on a wall and he can look, okay, so that goes there. Or like if you you saw like the... um, Terrible movie. One of the um, Sherlock Holmes movies with um, oh, Robert Downey Jr. Ju- where, where he plans ahead every move when he's just like right, discombobulated. Right. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, right. But but so like like somehow like his brain hmm. is 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 moving through time differently. It is. It's, yeah, I don't I don't think it's predicting. I think it's uh, it's his body is just reacting to things because his brain's not getting in the way. He's just experiencing the now and therefore mm. his body reacts exactly as it should and Michael even more so. You know, it's uh, it's uh, and so that's what it is. The 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 brain in us thinking about it, us planning or having an opinion or labeling a certain movement or behavior and then trying to do something with that. That's what gets in the way of clean work. Right? The clean work happens when we're not thinking. The clean work happens when we're not predicting or comparing to what we just did or the partner we just worked with. It happens when all those things disappear and Sistema manifests itself as a, as a clear, clean engagement with time. Yeah. I, I read a book uh, a few years ago called The Power of 50 Bits, which is basically saying like our conscious minds can process about 50 bits sure. of information, whereas our, our unconscious, our, our gut, yeah. um, you know, like zillions of times sure. that. Yeah. And and so if we can like understand that our brains are very good at certain things but not this. Sure. Yeah. And we don't we don't try to have them control everything. Um yeah. You know, then then we get a lot more or- organic uh valuable organic feedback that, that we can react to without having to put it through this bottleneck of the of the director. Yeah. And and maybe that's the solution to living in this super high-paced world, right? Um the final quote from Zimbardo there, he says that we're a uh, we're Hertz creatures in a megahertz world. Like literally, our brain, <laughs> we can't react at more than four cycles per second. That's how <laughs> fast we can see something and do something about it. Whereas our computers are reacting at 800 billion cycles per second, right? So in order to bridge that gap, we have to take the brains offline a little bit and just allow our bodies to respond to the world instead, maybe. Well, well, thanks, man. That was a, that, that was a good use of time, I think. <laughs> cool. Can, can, I, can I end with a Groucho Marx quote? Go for it. Always welcome. All right. He said, um, time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.